0: Welcome to This Justin, the show bringing you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. And now, for the fastest voice in healthcare, here's your host, Justin Barnes.
1: Welcome to the special episode of This Justin Radio. We're broadcasting live from VIVE 2023 in Nashville. First, I want to thank Chime and DHI for inviting us to their theater. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. We have a terrific show this morning with a great lineup of thought leaders from the industry. Our theme will be focusing on priorities and challenging of today's hospital CIOs. My first guest needs no introduction and is a revered guest of the show, Steve Lever, Chief Analytics Officer, Digital Health Insights Chime. How are you, my friend?
2: I'm doing good, Justin. It's great to see you. Again.
1: It's always great to be on air with you. I tell everybody this story. I'm going to continue to tell it for the rest of my time, but you're the reason this show exists. We've been doing it 10 years, but you're my very first guest back uh, in the Venture Forum 2015 in Hymns in Chicago, so... Um, It started there. You helped me kick it all off. I'm grateful for, grateful for the opportunity, grateful for your friendship through now almost 20 years. I was
2: going to say the, the story goes <laughs> back farther than that, doesn't it? It does.
1: It, <laughs> it does. But uh, again, welcome stage. Great to have you here. So first of all, tell me how you know the show's been so far for you. Last couple of days been busy. Been here for a few days. It's, it's
2: been fantastic, Justin. You know, there's an evolution that that you go through with events, and this is only year two of of Vive and. It's already well down the path yes. of evolution. We learned a lot last year in Miami Beach, brought that learning into Nashville. We've got over 7,600 people here, which is just about a 50% increase. Now, I'm going to say, though, we're going to cap it. We're not going to let it keep growing. Okay. We're kind of toying around with the idea of this thing should peak out at 10,000. Right. And so it's possible next year in... Yep. Los Angeles. Angeles. Love it. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Um, you know, it's possible that people might not be able to get in because we're we're gonna hold to that. There's a, a benefit in size, both benefit of big size as well as, as more manageable and, and what we sort of concluded at this event is it's an exclusive audience, very high level, and we wanna maintain that and maintain to a degree an intimacy. Yeah. yeah. You know, how, how intimate is ten thousand people? Still a lot of people, but now the the layout here in Nashville and it'll be repeated in in Los Angeles creates very easy access to a whole lot of activities. We brought the content down on the floor, so we've got these huge stages in all the corners here. So. There's only one place to go yep. down here, and you can eat. You can. I'm, I'm looking across the floor here. The Puppy Park over over there. Exactly. <laughs> You've got really fantastic content uh, in the theaters, and then we've got 600 plus companies ranging from you know people that are truly wet behind the ears. I mean, they're just brand new to well-established, long-standing technology companies, and so it, it really has been a fantastic couple of days already, and just. Hearing the conversation and buzz, I think people are really responding very positively to the model that we've created. They are, and
1: there's a great level of energy here. You guys are doing a phenomenal job, second year, you know, over 7,600 attendees, phenomenal. L.A. next year, February 25th, I believe it starts, so everybody starts to mark your calendar, certainly if you're going to cap it, and I agree with the intimacy. You can meet anybody that you want here. You can walk around. I've I mean, almost met every single person that I wanted to, uh, and I'll meet some more. I'll be here through tomorrow afternoon, so uh, you've achieved that goal. Let's take a quick step back, though. For people who may not know, how did Vive come to life? I and mean, this is between um, health, health and, and Chime. You guys came together. Why?
2: Yeah. Well, Health had the, the Health Conference. It's in the fall. Had been operating for probably about three years when we first started the conversation. And uh, one, there's a little bit of history as well between me and some of the staff over there. They used to work for me when I worked at Hims, yes. And so, you know, you, you start to sit down and have conversations with folks you know and, and have worked with before, it's like, you know, well, what if? And what we saw at, at CHIME was a, a spirit uh, in the health DNA in how they do conferences and really liked the energy that they brought to to their events. And they were focused more on the business investor side Mm -hmm. with health. And at the time, unfortunately, the relationship between HIMSS and Chime was falling apart. And so Chime was saying, okay, where should we play? We have a responsibility to drive education and, and professional development with our executive audience. And so it just sort of evolved into a natural partnership that leverages very different capabilities at Health and at Chime. And the combination of the two together is just really dynamic, as evident by what we see Street here. For sure. So
1: I guess bringing together this type of focus, these audiences, you guys, Chime is traditionally focused on the CIO and that C-suite. And you're expanding that a little bit, obviously, keeping. You know, great thought leader level with good strategy. So tell me how chime is helping CIOs today specifically. Yeah.
2: Well, and, and I like to talk on both points about the traditional core audience of chime mm-hmm. the CIO as well as the broader audience that we're doing under the DHX brand. One of the things that Russ Branzell the CEO and I know you've got him I think tomorrow morning said you know a strategic view he had was we need to go beyond our traditional audience. And so Chime is very dedicated to that core audience. The boot camps and programs that, that Chime produces are very targeted at the professional development of the current generation of CIOs and future generations. But beyond that, there is knowledge and learning that needs to extend to what is an ever-increasing number of executives that are involved in this area, digital officers, strategy officers, innovation officers, yes. on and on. And so we said, all right, we we, we got to protect the brand, got to protect Chime, and so we're very focused on on that audience. But let's go out and start to look more broadly at the executive levels that are in different places that are users of technology, buyers of technology, and that sort. And that's what DHX uh, evolved into. And so you know now we've we've got an audience of about three hundred thousand, which is is a significant X over the three thousand members of of Chime. But it just, I think, highlights the importance of being able to expand your reach in order to communicate a message, to be able to extend the learning opportunities. And, you know, as, as someone famously said, I didn't realize healthcare could be so difficult. Um, <laughs> you know, it is. And, and it so is, absolutely. It, and, and so having that broader audience and being able to learn from them, this is a two-way relationship. We're not just pushing stuff out. We're also reaching out and bringing content in from these other audiences because in provider settings, you don't operate alone. We learned that a long time ago. It's not technology product uh, projects. You know, it's enterprise projects. It's patient projects, that sort of thing. And there are multiple players involved. And you got to get everybody together to do it right. I love it. Excellent. Absolutely. Steve Lieber, thank you so much for
1: joining the show, my friend. Great to see you as always. Thank you, Justin. It's my pleasure. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. it. Awesome. Dede Davis, Vice President of Informatics and Conformance and Interoperability with Sequoia Project. Yes. So before we dive in, um, tell us what Sequoia Project is. A lot of us know, but for everybody. <laughs>
0: no, I'll try and I'll try to keep it brief. Love it. Um the Sequoia Project's a not for profit for the public good organization, based and headquartered in Washington, DC. Um, we think of us ourselves as a convener mm-hmm. of the healthcare sector in general, um, trying to reach consensus to have secure, interoperable exchange of information. And that could be any type of information, but also. Coupling that with the policy perspective so that you have the trust to have that exchange happening. Um, the Sequoia Project is um, the recognized coordinating entity in collaboration as part of the cooperative grant with the Office of the National Coordinator. You'll hear more about that from Mickey Trapathy. Yes. Um, but we are the RCE since 2019. Um, so we have been working a lot with the candidate Q Um, but we really try to to do um facilitation of that interoperability. So we have a lot of different um initiatives. Uh the most, I guess the most active is our uh interoperability matters initiative. Um and it covers things like data usability, um, things like um, you know, public health consumer engagement those things that are important
1: as well yeah and in full disclosure i was a board member of sequoia project yes. love Marianne yeager yes um, is, is marion here
0: no she's not here she sent her regrets okay. it just made sense i live here in tennessee so it was one of those things yeah. that you know driving here was very easy but she was at the first five yes and she fully supports five and, and so absolutely. forth but she sent me uh instead
1: cool <laughs> well i'm glad you're here thank so, you um Tell me a little bit about, I mean, some of the priorities for the Square Project, but also, I mean, I, this is a personal passion for yours for many, many yeah, years. You know me, um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, tell me about the priorities and what should these CIOs be thinking about when it comes to interoperability and, you obviously, standards and, and obviously, in operating and working with Square Project.
0: Perfect. And I think Anish said it really well. You need to make sure you're proactive, thinking about things that are going to flow down as requirements that are coming up. Um, Today, with the exchange happening, um, healthcare CIOs need to be thinking about how does my data interoperate in the ecosystem mm-hmm. that ecosystem could involve long-term care social determinants information public health information thinking very broadly about that so I think that that's one thing I fully advise on and of course you know me I've always preached the standards way of Absolutely. doing things um, using healthcare standards so that we're not doing those point-to-point interfaces that continue having to be updated and it's not scalable it's cost too much breaking money. And breaking, breaking. Um, so Think about the big picture and try to start as you acquire, especially as you do IT project updates. Think about how can I make this data more usable and complete. How do I exchange it with my partners? So, thinking along those lines, I think that way you'll always kind of filter through and support, you know, your whole uh, patient journey for your patients that you take care
1: of. So, and and love it, Didi, so help a if you're a um, a CIO or you know chief information officer, chief interoperability officer. What would be a few best practices that you would say, hey, this is – you have a strategy, but this is where you really want to focus in on and this is where, you know, these – either these standards or next steps or real tangible next steps for them.
0: (laughs) You. Threw me a softball, and I don't know if that was on purpose, but thank you for doing it. Well, it's really that.
1: important. I actually, know the, I actually know the audience, and they need to hear this. Yeah. No,
0: no, this is great. Um, so my passion, and I've been doing this now for uh, three years or so, um, data usability. So I think that's one thing I kind of alluded to it, but I'll go into a bit more. So truly, uh, the Sequoia Project, in our mission for public good, um, did release a version one implementation guide last December. And we're kind of working through now the process of making it take root, kind of playing on our Sequoia tree, you know, uh, uh, infrastructure piece. So we are trying to make sure that the implementation guide has the care and feeding, socialization, communication to to see, hey, this is guidance that's using industry standards. These things are actually required for the meaningful use, what it was, now promoting interoperability requirements and so forth. So there's guidance in there that's very pragmatic to do things like reducing duplicates of data, being able to do patient matching better, thinking about provenance where did the data come from so thinking about those things there's real conformance items this is a testable implementation guide and we're going to be creating tools so hoping to maybe have them start adopting that we're doing the taking root movement where we're kind of trying to say let's have some you know pathfinders find their path along the way. The trailblazers, they have to kind of cut the trail. They're the ones that maybe they're going to be implementing more. And then the real groundbreakers, the one that actually get the the momentum going. So I think, you know, data usability, looking at that implementation guidance, um, since it is new, um, I would love for folks to Join us right. in this, because it's going to be all of us. It takes everyone working together to get us to that next mark.
1: Absolutely. So if someone wants to engage that and they can join Sequoia Project, is there a work group you would point them towards or, you know, what, what's next?
0: Great. Um don't have to be a member of Sequoia Project. It is an open, inclusive. In fact, we've got 270 plus organizations that are members and 380 plus actual individual participants. So um, go to sequoiaproject.org. Um, under initiatives tab there's the data usability. Sign up, download the calendar invite. We meet once a month, the first Thursday of the month. Calls are for one hour open for everyone. Um, and if you sign up for the listserv, we'll push you, you know, when we're having s- summit, for instance, we're gonna have a data usability summit later this year, things like that that are coming up. Um, but we'd love to have, in fact, we're now We've just released the last version one guide. We're already working on version two because mm-hmm. it took us two years to reach consensus to get to that first step. Exactly. And we want to make something that's going to keep us moving and implementable within an 18-month timeline. So
1: I love it. So obviously, engagement, this is something that was very near and dear to, to my heart and, and even my education along the way You know, 20, over the past 20 years. All these free resources, learning from your peers, engaging this is very complex and very difficult. Absolutely. And so when you you engage the project or the interoperability initiatives, you get to learn along the way. You get to reprioritize what you're doing so you can kind of plug into where healthcare is yes. going.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: I think it's really important that people, you know, take this as a first step, learn. Don't be intimidated by how complex this is, because you, all your peers, everybody's, in the, we're all in the same Everybody. boat,
0: exactly. Yeah. And we all need to row together to you make this it. happen. Um, the work we're doing for version two, we're asking for those pain points between now and June. So, Brian, is there something that's really difficult in your organization that we should consider and figure out a way to solve that? Exactly. Let's let's work together to do that.
1: Exactly, and, um, and and again, you just your peers around you, part of these work groups, they are. Free consultants for you in a lot of ways. Oh, you're, gonna, yes. you're gonna have questions. They'll actually help you get in there and row your own row the boat with you in your organization.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think the more we share, the- the more perspectives everyone has, and I think it actually opens up their eyes. We've been working on lab. Lab is a very uh, tangly mess, as we call it right now. Um, so we're really trying to break down those barriers and some of that because bringing the lab folks yes. and the providers together—you know—trying to make sure we're looking at it from the same viewfinder is so.
1: Specific. Lab is my new space. So oh, it is. It is. I so didn't know that. I did. Yeah. Well, I haven't told anybody yet.
0: But... <laughs> Fresh news. I huh? know. So, um,
1: but, so tell. Let's talk about that for a second. I got an extra couple minutes here. So oh, tell me okay. about um, what do what you guys do When you say lab interoperability, what do you mean by that? What kind of standard specs? And, and then I want to know where I want, where I got yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah, standard?
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to point to what Shield is doing. Um, yeah. Shield is, is really helping promote this and they're having uh, discussions. There's meetings weekly and so forth. So what we did in the version one of our implementation guide was Concentrated on like the top 200 ish labs that every kind of provider wants. Okay. Let's normalize those and let's get those codified so you can have semantic interoperability. You got it. We now need to start thinking this to the next step. So we're working with like Texas and California, and others who are a little further along with this, but following SHIELD and the work that they're doing, as well as what HL7 is doing. So, there is some lab interoperability improvements that Mm -hmm. are happening. There's going to be some fire components that take in, but I'm happy to talk to you and meet later on today if you need.
1: So, thank you so much. Didi Davis, so great to have you on stage. Thank you for joining us. Hope you have a great rest of your conference. Thank you. Give me another hug. It's been too long. Absolutely. I'll take that. See, thank you. Take travels. Thank you very much. Dee Dee Davis, Sequoia Project. Catherine Bingham, VP of Interoperability, eHealth Exchange. So welcome to the show.
3: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
1: Um, first of all, how's the conference been for you so far?
3: Oh, it's been great. It's really interesting to see all the different companies out there and to see the new technologies that are coming out. I've been very impressed with the presentations, so it's been very fun.
1: What's your goal for the, uh, for the conference?
3: Well, you know, with the e-health exchange, we have been. Uh we are exhibiting at HIMS. We thought this would be a great place for us to exhibit next year and just wanted to get a sense for what kind of audience it was. So that's a main goal. But it's also connecting with the people that we partner with as well as um, seeing what other technologies and what other companies we might be able to connect with in the future to promote interoperability.
1: Absolutely. I mean, literally, this was not supposed to be an interoperability show, but every single one of my guests today it's all been talking about interoperability, so um, and obviously it's it's key. It's near and dear to my heart for the past twenty years. So I love it. In February, eHealth Exchange was announced by HHS as one of the six uh, initial candidates for the uh, Q- QHINs, but Qualified Health Information Networks under TEFCA. So tell me about that um, process and you know the briefing and the entities agreed to push for onboarding by the end of twenty twenty three. Is that possible? You know,
3: right. Like, well, we're really excited about that and excited to be part of the first six that are uh, have our applications approved this journey started much much earlier and we at the health exchange have been preparing for this for years and last year when we got the first SOPs from the RCE we in you know, we really pushed hard to look at our technolo- uh, technology stack and make sure that we were prepared for this. And we came up with um, a great deal of detail on the changes that we need to make as well as our participants might need to make to be able to be prepared for this. Um, we're excited with the other, uh, potential QHINs mm-hmm. and, you know, it's dependent on all of us, but none of us can be a QHIN without another other, one being right, a QHIN. right. So we have to work together to make that happen. Uh, and, you know, we're hoping to start the testing phase any day now and we're ready to go. I think the end of the year is still possible. You know, it's dependent on the RCE. It's dependent on the other QHINs. But we're ready to go. And so we've done our internal testing, and we're confident that we're going to be able to make it.
1: What are some of the explain um, some of the processes specifically that you have to go through?
3: Well, you know, you have to do uh, all the testing that um, between the QHins and there's content testing, and the Health Exchange has done content testing. One of the few networks that does that, uh, and so we're we're used to that process and it's a very similar process to what goes on with our participants we have a separate environment for the qhin It is not of all of the our participants have to participate in the qhin and so we have a we have a separate process for that and we have a we sent out just recently, um, you know, what the, each of our participants need to do to be prepared. And so they, w- um, we have some that have said, no, I'm not going to opt in yet. We're going to wait because this looks like it's going to be hard work. And they don't have to join right away. And some will wait till we're further down the path and there's additional use cases that are promoted through the QHINs.
1: So, in uh, kind of even in that direction, you know, what should a hospital organization be doing right now as they plan for the for participation in TEFCA?
3: Well, uh, they need to look at it uh, from the perspective of you know what value is that going to gain them out of the gate, and you know, there's additional. Additional players that they'll be able to connect with and I think that's one of the big things you know We have right now within the health exchange. We cover 75% of all hospitals in the United States 85% of all dialysis clinics and 61 regional and State HIEs. so we have a great deal of connectivity But wouldn't it be wonderful to connect with the rest of those organizations? And that's where I think the QHIN to QHIN participation is going to add a lot of value
1: agree so what are some of the best practices i guess um, if you're a, a you know a hospital a hospital cio a board of a health system or even the executive suite you know what are some tangible next steps that you would advise you know offer to them say hey this is how you can engage this is how you can kind of like take some steps in the next direction it could be intimidating to some there's a lot of priorities for these health systems what would you recommend they do next? That's a good first step.
3: Well, making sure that you're aware of what's happening with TEFCA and making sure that, you know, you're using the resources that we and the other potential QHINs would provide um, and preparing for it because it is not for the faint of heart. There's work to be done. So, you know, getting started on that. And then, you know, it's only going to be good for everyone if people move to those standards that are promoted by the RCE and TEFCA. Excellent. So
1: if someone wanted to go learn more and, and something tangible, where would you point them to? Is there a website, a, best, a work group, or, or a combination of different things that you could point somebody to to learn more?
3: Sure. Our website, we're extremely transparent. Everything's on our website. We, we have all our technical standards, all of our pricing. We... We are here to promote interoperability, and so our TEFCA section right now on our website is pretty thorough, um, but it also, we are expanding that, and we're going to be putting in all the technical standards that people need to change and need to be up to, so we'll be putting that out to the public as well, and that should be coming out this week. And so it's the ehealthexchange.org is our website, and there's big banner that says Tefka, click there, and you've got it.
1: And I assume there's a work group of people, because I mean, I'm a big um, proponent and encourager, people joining work groups, learning from their peers, um, reaching out when they have questions, and us as a community trying to solve these problems together. Is there a, a consortium or a work group or someone that you could point someone to where they could kind of learn more?
3: Sure. We have a technical work group that meets every Thursday at 1 o'clock. I think it's 1, no, it's 2 o'clock, um, uh, 2 o'clock Eastern, and so that's a great place to start, and that is open to the public. You don't have to be a participant with the eHealth Exchange, and then Excellent. we are doing webinars and um, office hours for our participants.
1: Excellent. Love it. Catherine Bingham, thank you so much for joining me today um, on air, and uh, congratulations, and keep up all the great work. We appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you,
1: Catherine. Appreciate eHealth Exchange. And just want to say thank you very much to Roberta and Carol and Greg and the whole team at Healthcare Now Radio and Chime and DHI for letting us use the stage. Thank you to everyone joining us here in the audience and obviously everybody listening online. And uh, I'm Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in for this special episode of This Justin Radio.